today we have a, a neat study in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. I really encourage you to you know, open up your Bible and to bring your Bible with you because you're going to really, I think you'll get more out of it when you're you know, following along in your Bible. And so either on your phone or iPad or a hard copy, it's a really cool thing. But Revelation chapter 21, if I had to give today's uh, study a title, I would call it A Whole New World. And I would like to sing the song to you, too. <laughs> but um, I was telling one of the sisters, uh, Aliyah, I said, man, maybe one of these days you can sing it for us and we could just change the words a little bit. You know, a whole new world. Think about it. You know, we're here on planet Earth and life is good, but life is tough, you know. Um, but this is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. One day we'll be home in heaven forever. For those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is the hope that we have that's an anchor of the soul. And so uh, Revelation 21, we're going to see uh, all things new, everything new. Heaven is a place where everything is new, a new universe. Think about it. I would use the word university, a new university, because we're going to be learning in heaven, all new uh, world, new university, a new body. Think about that. We're going to get a new body. For some of you here who are young, you're like, oh, that's not really a big deal. But when you get my age, uh, you're like, hey, I would like a new body. <laughs> it has some jet black hair. And, uh, you know, I'm missing one tooth. And so I'll have all my teeth in heaven. <laughs> I'll be taller uh, for sure. I won't have to worry about, you know, gaining weight. It's crazy because now when you get older, you're like, man, I wish I could just eat seven slices of pizza like I used to when I was young, but now, now all you got to have is a salad, you know, it's, it's just everything changes. I was thinking even about my eyes, how my eyes are so bad. They're 20 over 200. They're, I'm half blind. And so, you know, I have to put these contact lenses in and take them out or hopefully, you know, I'll get glasses one day. But, you know, in heaven, it's going to be so cool. A new universe, a new body. We'll be living in a new city, uh, in that day, we'll, live, we'll all live in Jerusalem. We're going to see that. And it's going to be cool because we'll have the new company. And so in heaven, uh, uh, they'll be the redeemed. We'll be with those who are the blood-bought believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we look back to the cross. And we're going to live there. And so let me ask you a question. If you had to choose between these two things, I'd rather have a nice house. I'd rather live in a nice house, or I'd rather live with nice people. Which would you choose? Yeah, and so the, the people, the company, the love, the beauty of heaven, and not just people who are, you know, the church, but with him, we are going to be tabernacling with God. Now, for those of you who are Christians, we, we sense God's presence now. There's no doubt about it. He's, he's real and, uh, and stuff, but it's by faith that we sense it. Then it, it won't be faith. It's going to be fact. As a matter of fact, in heaven, and I don't know how exactly how the details or everything is going to be, but, you know, wherever you go, you won't need any lights. You won't need any lights, any sun, because the Lord, the Lamb, will be the light. And so basically, you know how it is nowadays? You go somewhere and they kind of like the lights turn on, the motion sensors kind of thing. In one sense, you've got to visualize heaven like that. And you know it goes beyond our wildest imagination, but we'll be, we'll be living in the perpetual presence of God. 
And so uh, that doesn't make us not want to live life now. As a matter of fact, it, it makes me want to live life better now so that not only will I you know, go to heaven without any reserves or regrets, but also be able to take as many people with us as we can, right? And so prayerfully, we have that heart. C.S. Lewis said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It doesn't mean that we are to leave the world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. And so we're not escapists, we're realists. But since we know that place is real, it even gives us more inspiration for now. C.S. Lewis also said, if you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. And so that's the mentality that we have. I love talking about heaven. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon said, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. And he said, when you speak of hell, your normal face will do. But <laughs> today we talk about heaven. Look what it says in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so we've gone through the book of Revelation, a lot of crazy things that we've experienced uh, as we've studying it. And then, you know, John finally comes to this place where he sees the new heaven and the new earth because the first one's had passed away. Now, just real quick, I don't know if you guys are interested in this, but just in case you're, you're thinking, uh, well, which, what do you mean new heaven and new earth? Some say that God completely obliterates the current heaven and earth. Um, that would be earth and the atmosphere and the space and stars and all that kind of stuff. He completely wipes it out. And then, like Pastor Chuck Smith said, he, he creates it from nothing. And so there is that view there's also another view that says he, he kind of like um, takes the DNA of our current uh, universe and he redeems it. Romans chapter 8, it talks about that, how all creation groans earnestly wanting to be redeemed. And so I kind of lean more towards the latter. I think that when, you, when we die and when we go to heaven, it's still going to be you. It's still going to be your DNA. It'll be Manny. But Manny in, you know, glorified body, it'll be you. We don't lose our uniqueness to us. And so, you know, God's going to take our, our the, he talks about this, he's going to resurrect us. And so I kind of have a hunch that what he's going to do is he's going to resurrect uh, the heavens and the earth. Again, just in case you're wondering, but it will be without flaw. Think about how awesome it'll be, man. I mean, now they say that we only use one-tenth of our brain. Then we'll use it all, you know? Now they tell you how we're so limited in the colors that we see. We're so limited in the sounds that we can hear. But then uh, we'll be able to hear and see. It's just going to be so amazing. You know, John says, I, I saw a new heaven, a new earth, uh, for the first one passed away. And he says there was no more sea. Now, if you like the beach and you read that there's no more sea, you might be disappointed, right? But don't worry, there are no disappointments in heaven. I have a feeling that the reason John wrote that is because remember where he was? He was on the island of Patmos. And so he's on this little island, and it separated him from everyone else. And so he was kind of like in this prison. He saw the sea as a bad thing. The Jews 
saw the sea as a bad thing. The beast rose up out of the sea. Um, we see that many dead rose up out of the sea. And so there was something about that that to them brought a negative connotation. And so John just said, hey, there's going to be no more sea. And so I don't know. We don't know the details of it. Maybe it's just all the land masses. We talked about this maybe during the millennial kingdom where we, I think as an earth, we said, we experienced what was called continental drift, where everything drifted apart. Maybe in uh, the millennial kingdom and then in heaven, everything comes back together and the ocean is outside of that. I don't know for sure. Uh, I do know this, though. There'll still be water skiing in heaven because uh, Revelation chapter 22 talks about the river that flows uh, from the throne. And so there, don't worry, there's going to be water there. you know. But um, basically what he's saying, though, nothing bad. Nothing bad, no more sea. But we're going to see that more so later. And then I, it says in verse 2, John, he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so it's literally like the heavenly city of Jerusalem is going to descend down on planet Earth. You know, uh, diff- and when, you, when you understand where we're at right now, um, Paul said that what heaven is the third heaven. And so the first heaven is the atmosphere where the birds fly. The second heaven is the space where the stars are. The third heaven, according to the Bible, is heaven, where God lives, okay? And so Jerusalem is there. The city is there. One day, the whole city is going to come down on planet Earth. And it says like it's going to be like a bride adorned for her husband. And so, you know, you don't think weird things like Jesus is marrying a city. No, it's, he's marrying us and, you know, that relationship that we have with him. But, but what it really speaks about is the love. You guys, the love, I mean, praise God for love. Love is amazing when you really love somebody, when they really love you, when you can experience a little bit of that while you live on earth. But it ain't nothing compared to what we're going to see in heaven. As a bride adorned for her husband. How beautiful it's going to be. And, I, you know, when you look at a bride coming into a wedding, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's stunning, huh? I mean, just every bride I think I've ever seen, almost, no, I'm just joking, every single bride <laughs> I've ever seen has always been beautiful, beautiful. Well, that's going to be us, you know, and we're going to see that about heaven. Heaven is a beautiful place, and we're going to see, uh, we're going to live in Jerusalem, and uh, Julie was talking about peace that she's experiencing through the difficulty. Jerusalem, it it means teaching of peace. It's a city of peace. Really, that's the heart of it, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And, uh, and, I, and I just know this, that it's hard to find peace here on earth, to find the perfect peace, the constant peace. You always get these fears. You always get these social phobias. You always wonder about stuff. You know, how's this going to work out? You know, thinking about everything, my kids, you know, my, my friends. And, and in Jerusalem, there's going to be this peace with God, and there's this going to be this peace of God. And if you can just maybe... Think about what that'll be. How awesome. How awesome. And, and then what, after he says what he sees, and then he, he writes what he hears in verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now, I wish I knew more about heaven. I mean, I want to know the details. I want to know what's what's pizza going to be like in heaven. I want to know about the sweets and the chocolate and a lot of stuff, but we don't have a lot of details. If you have an opportunity to read a really good book, I recommend to you. It's a thick book by Randy Alcorn on heaven. It's great. Um, And he has a lot of insight on it, but there's still, I think, more questions than there are answers. But what we do need to know, he tells us. He tells us right here. And this is a beautiful thing. The tabernacle of God is with men. You know, it's kind of like in your house, God's moving in. Now we're going to live together. You know, it's one thing I remember when I met my wife, and I know the very first time I saw her, I said, I'm going to marry her. It was love at first sight, even though I didn't know what love was, but the Lord used that. And eventually, you know, we started, we met each other, and she took the soda at the very first uh, date, and it was just so cool how everything worked out, and then, you know, we just, you know, sought the Lord together as Christians for a year and a half, I think, and then we got engaged, and then, you know, set the wedding date, and then the day came where we moved in together. We moved in together. This is what we're talking about right here, where, where we move in together with God. And the cool thing is it's not just living together It's belonging to each other. That's what it says right here. It says that the tabernacle of God is with men, and it says, and and, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So it's like now we're not just living together. Now we, we belong to each other. You know, I have this ring right here in my hand. It's not an expensive ring. The ring that I got when we got married... Was it was more expensive, but eventually, I don't know how, somehow it withered away, it broke. And then so I went down to Carrie Temple Downey, and I got a ring right here. It's probably a $30 ring. But what's, in, what's engraved on the ring is what's important. It's out of Song of Solomon, chapter 6, and verse 3, where it says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And that's what this is. This love relationship that we have with God One day we're going to be living together and the whole concept, the whole truth is that he's our God and we're his people. And that's what we see here. And we've seen it throughout the scriptures, Leviticus 26, 11 through 12. God promised, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and and be your God and you shall be my people. For those of you who are reading through the Bible right now, we're reading about the tabernacle. Huh? That's what this is all about. It's a shadow of the substance. One day, we will tabernacle with God. And God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more reason to cry in heaven. No more heartache or sin or suffering or Satan or sickness. No more devil. No more death. You know, and when you, when you, when you I don't know about you, some of you are like, oh man, that sounds like a dream. It sounds too good to be true, some will say. No, are you telling me that God is too good? There's no way. God is good. 
And you want to know something? The reason why we think it, it's, it sounds like a dream is because right now, in many ways, we're living the nightmare of this fallen world that has resisted God. And so uh, just know this is what's in front of us. God will wipe away every tear. We read in verse 5, And then he who sat on the throne, he said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are, are true and, and faithful. God put it in writing. You can count on this. It's true. It's not just us some type of wishful thinking. He says, I want you to know it's true. In verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And so God, I, you guys, as we're reading through this, I, I pray you would know I know most of you are Christians. Maybe there's some who have not yet made that commitment. This is not just a revelation. This is an invitation. I'm telling you about a place in heaven where you can live with God. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to live with God forever and ever? And what he says right here is, is if you're thirsty, come. And I'll never forget the day that I came, August 20th, 1989. I was living my own life. I was thirsty. I was empty. I was trying to fill the void within myself with all the things the world has to offer, you know, the relations and all the parties and all the stuff and all the drugs and all the alcohol and whatever it might be, all the fun, whatever money can buy. It never fills the void. I was still thirsty. Because the only one that can satisfy, the only one that could quench that thirst is God. And so I know most of you here have already given your life to Christ, and I thank God for that. But maybe there's some here that haven't. I want to make it clear to you that God loves you, that Jesus died for you on a cross, that all your sins you ever did, past, present, future, all of them were laid on him, and he suffered the punishment that we deserve, and he died for you. But then he rose again, and here we have him extending that invitation. Anyone who's thirsty, if you're thirsty today, you can come, and you can drink, and you can be saved. And that's what we have here. The Lord's not, he's saying, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm outside of time. It's done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished. Here the Father says, it's done. I tell you what, you accept Jesus Christ, you're already seated in the heavenly places. It's done. It's not like I hope it happens. No, hope in the Christian vernacular is a certain certainty about the future. And we're not gambling with eternity. We know where our home is. It's done, the Father says. And that's why I want to encourage you to come to the Lord today. Come to him so that you can be his child. You know, verse 7 is an interesting verse. It says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. Now, we've gone through in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 the, the exhortation to be an overcomer. Remember? As you've gone through Revelation chapters 2 and 3, he's writing to all the different churches. He's saying, hey, you guys are going to experience this type of persecution. Hey, you guys are going to experience that type of temptation. 
but he who overcomes, and then he extends a promise. And so what I would say, what the Lord is saying here to the church, is you don't want to just have a saved soul and a wasted life. You don't want to be saved by the skin of your teeth. You know, you want to make a right turn and keep going straight. You don't want to live one foot in and one foot out. You want to be sold out and surrendered, completely committed. You want to be an overcomer. And that's what he's saying. And if you do, if you overcome, if you live the life that God called you to live, in love with him, in the word, in prayer, serving, surrendered, recklessly abandoned, committed to the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, discovering your gifts, developing them, deploying them, giving it all to God, not leaving anything undone, if you overcome, then you will inherit all things, all that God has for you, all the rewards that will bring him glory. That's what he's saying. I want you to know that. And it just, it, it just fires me up. It, it brings me to a place of, of conviction. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I failed you a lot. I'm sorry, Lord, It's just because it's just so easy to get caught up in this world living in the United States of America with all the, the, the dreams that they offer and the way that you get sidetracked with all that kind of stuff. And Lord, we put you on the back burner and we end up kind of like giving God the leftovers and, and we have to overcome all that so that one day you can hear those words. I'm sure Billy Graham heard it. I'm sure Chuck Smith heard it. Well done, good and faithful servant. So there's a word to, to the, those who don't know the Lord. There's a word to those who do. Notice what we read here. It's an invitation to the lost and an inspiration to the found. And what we find in verse 8, it says, but... The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so as we're talking about life after death, uh, there's two options, with or without God. And it's interesting what he says right here is he identifies all these sins, right? Liars, a sorcerer is a drug addict. That's where we get the word pharmacy from, pharmakitos. That was me, a murderer, sexually immoral. Some of those, they seem pretty obvious. Yeah, I'm sure that type of person wouldn't go to heaven. But then he says liars. No liars are going to go to heaven. And no cowardly people are going to go to heaven. And so, you know, you could look at that, and there are other sins, of course, that are not listed there. But here's the most important thing you have to understand, that the only way you'll ever be identified with any of those sins is if you're not forgiven of those sins by giving your life to Jesus Christ. You know, because we all get afraid from time to time. We might slip up in, 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 in any of these things. Did you know the Bible says that if you hate someone, you murder them? Did you know that? The Bible says that if you lust after a woman, then you're guilty of adultery. And so you might be here, we might be you stumble in some of these things, but I'm not a liar and I'm not an adulterer and I'm not a murderer because I'm a Christian. And I've given my life to Jesus Christ. We're not perfect, but we are pardoned. 
And that's why, you know, the only way you'll ever be identified with any of those sins, and that's your ID, you're a liar, whatever these might be, is if you haven't given your life to Christ. And so that's why I encourage you, as a pastor, in one sense, this chapter is one of the most important chapters for us because this is what it's all about. We're trying to help people go to heaven. We're trying to help you. Maybe you're watching online and you don't know the Lord. We're trying to, we want to be used by God. Our church here, we all want to be used by God to bring him glory and to bring people to heaven. And so, again, in the middle of the revelation, there's the invitation. If you're thirsty, come and get a drink. Come. If you're here today, here, right here, I'll give you guys a drink. (laughs) Jesus said in John 7, 37, if anyone thirsts, come, believe in me, and out of your heart will flow torrents of living water. Some people, they will trip out. They're like, no, being saved and going to heaven, it can't be that easy. You're trying to tell me that all I have to do is believe, that I can be saved right here, right now, that I can know for sure that when I die, I'll go to heaven. You're telling me that? Yeah, that's why they call it the good news. All you have to do is say yes. You know, yesterday we were so privileged to go visit a a young man who's having some problems with anxiety. He's in his early 30s. I think, and man, if pastor's dream come true, they wanted us to come over their house. And so we went over this man's house and it was right there and then. I explained it to him in the same way. Listen, God wants to have a relationship with you. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Are you interested? Would you like that relationship? And he said yes, and he prayed to receive Christ. That's what I'm saying, you guys. Church, this is what it's all about. God's knocking on the door of our heart. Verse 9, it says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with seven, the seven last plagues, he came to me and he talked with me and he said, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain And showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, real quick, you guys know, huh, lighting is huge, huh? You guys, sometimes you see it in people's houses or whatever, a a building and the lighting. So the lighting in Jerusalem is going to be so beautiful, And it says in verse 12, And also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And so it's just beautiful, hopefully we don't trip out. Hopefully, we just see it for what it is. It's a love story, man, that God loves you. Tale of two cities, Babylon or Jerusalem, where will you live? For us as Christians, it's Jerusalem, right? And it's interesting what we read right here, how this city comes down. We hear of the lighting and then the wall. And some will wonder, well, why is there a wall in Jerusalem? I'm not, you know, It's not keeping us in because the gates are open and we can go venture and adventure throughout the whole universe and it's not keeping the bad people out because there are no bad people. But when you read the book of Nehemiah, you find that the gates were for the glory of God and they were just, again, it was just 
beauty. It was just beauty. And we're going to see that on these gates, you have the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, and then the foundations have the the 12 names of the 12 apostles. We're going to read that in just a second. And so what we have is the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have the God of the Bible, Judeo-Christian truths. That's who's in heaven. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we look back to the cross. And so the foundations, and we're going to see it there. Again, Jerusalem is filled with these people. And then we read in verse 14 that the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. And then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And so, again, um, we don't know a lot, but we do know certain things about this heavenly city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. It it gives us the dimensions here. There's 1,500 miles cubed. And so if uh, you see it as a skyscraper, that's what it's going to be like. You're like, well, what's my future home in heaven going to be like? I don't know the details, but I do know we're going to live in a skyscraper 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles, miles high. And if you were to make every, uh, every story a half a mile high, we, we don't need a roof that high, but if it was a half a mile high, that the square footage would be larger than the whole mass of the whole earth. And so there's a lot of people you can fit here. But the interesting thing is um, what our home is going to be like in heaven I'll bet you almost anything that it's going to be something that we're interested. Like, for example, what's your favorite color? We all have different favorite colors. Some of you here, you like uh, whatever, the pink. What's a fuchsia pink or whatever? Maybe you like the white. Maybe some people, they like purple. I don't know, but I don't know. Every single, you know, place is going to be uniquely created for you. I wonder, you know, I wonder what it's going to be like. Um, I even think about crazy stuff because I'm weird. I think about like, have you guys seen the program WandaVision? And anyways, in, in every single one, it's different. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, maybe today I want this kind of furniture, you know, and then tomorrow I want that. And it works out that way. But where it's unique to all of us, Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But he's preparing a place for us. It's amazing. And so we're going to live in this skyscraper. Um, 1,500, 1,500, 1,500 square footage is there uh, with these walls, with these foundations of the apostles, the gates, and the angels. We're going to see the gates are pearls. I mean, that, that we do know about heaven. And it's going to be so beautiful. We read here in verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. I'm sorry, verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper, And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, 
and the 12th amethyst. And I'll bet you there's uh, significance to all those stones. We're already uh, supposed to be done right now, so I can't really dig in too much. But I will say that I looked them, when I looked them all up, I was just so impressed with the, the beautiful colors of each and every stone and how every one is just beautiful. And I was thinking even how sometimes we do a little lighting here and we got a little colors there and it makes it nice. Uh, again, just hoping you know how beautiful, how beautiful heaven will be. You know, and there's something about these stones, the, the colors of each one. And then verse 21, it says the 12 gates were 12 pearls and an individual gate was of one pearl, each one in the street of the city was pure gold. And so in heaven, um, gold is asphalt. (laughs) We value it so much here, but it's impure. There it's pure, there it's clear. You know, it's going to be just absolutely stunning. It says in verse 22, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple and the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And I'll bet you almost anything, man, that nothing is going to be insignificant. And even though we may not know the significance of them now, maybe you can study it and learn more we will know the significance of everything then. And I will say this about the pearl, okay? So you got the pearl as as a gate. It's it's a big pearl. But what is a pearl? If you think about it, a pearl is when something dirty like a grain of sand or a parasite or some irritant finds its way into an oyster or a mussel or a clam. And what happens is that oyster has a defensive mechanism and the fluid is then used to coat the irritant and then layer upon layer, it's called nacre, it's deposited until this beautiful pearl is formed. And, and I've always seen that when you read the parable of the pearl of great price in the Bible, where the Bible says the kingdom of God is likened to a man who found a beautiful pearl and he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that pearl. And what that parable teaches us is that uh, Jesus, when he sees us, he goes and he sells everything, and he, and he bought us. And so we're nothing. We're this irritant, this grain of sand, this you know, little piece of you know, dirt, unfortunately, in and of ourselves. And, but he's covered us. He's covered us with his righteousness, with his beauty, with his love. And every day when we go out and we see those pearls, Every single day, we'll be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's made you beautiful. He has, as you've given your life to him. You know, we, there's, no, there's no temple there. The Lord is, is, is everywhere. There's a perpetual presence. There's no need for the sun or the moon. And, you know, have you guys, you know, we're praying for what's going on in Texas. Imagine how cold it is. And then so the water freezes, you have no power to heat yourself up, and you guys know the, the stories there. In heaven, there's none of that. There's no sun. The Lord is, is the warmth. The Lord is the light everywhere in the perpetual presence of God. And that excites me. It really does, because sometimes I feel his presence. So I don't know if you guys, do you guys ever feel his presence, or am I, is it just me? Do you guys ever feel it? Just a little bit. It's just kind of like a little bit. I'm like, whoa, I get goose, 
pimples all over me and goosebumps or whatever. And you know, it's just a beautiful thing. And sometimes I've experienced it during worship, you know, where the songs are sung and I just feel like this presence of God. Sometimes it's just when I'm praying in my garage. But imagine living in the perpetual, all-powerful presence of God forever. There's no need for lights. There's no need for a sun or a moon. There's no need for a temple. You, you live the whole world. The whole universe is his temple. See, that's what, that's what we read heaven is. And it's just the beginning. It says in verse 24, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. The gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And you know, when he talks about nations, uh, the Greek word is ethnos. And so one of the beautiful things about heaven is that we bring our nationality into it, kind of like we bring our culture into it. There's going to be the diversity of it. And it's just a beautiful thing. It really is. Now, they, you know, the, there's going to be uh, Mexican food. There's going to be a salsa that's out of this world. There's going to be Italian food and Thai food and all the different cultures and all the different varieties I love, I've been to a few churches, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a church, where they have all the different nationalities, all the different colors, and it's just beautiful, all the tribes and tongues and nations. And so he says, they all bring their glory into it, they all bring kind of like their, their combination or their culture into it, and it's so cool, I know, what is going to be there, and so much more, so much more. And so just to have that in front of you, sometimes it's good when you're running a race. Sometimes it's good. I know I find myself when I'm running on the, on the treadmill or wherever it might be, I'm like, okay, I only got two more laps or whatever, you know? Sometimes it's good to have that, that goal in front of you. Heaven is not just a destination, it's a motivation. But again, it doesn't mean that we want to check out. Like I was sharing with Rich earlier, once a month I want to do sanctity of life. I want to do sanctity of life. You know, because there is, unfortunately, sometimes there, there are those that don't value life, whether it be the child in the, in the womb or it be an older person. And next thing you know, into our nation creeps this thing called euthanasia. Why? Because they've lost the sanctity of of life. Listen, when a person is there at their, di their deathbed, God will use them to the last breath, even though they have to suffer. So we are not to speed up the process, either at the end of life or the beginning of life or anything in between. When we understand the sanctity of life, you know, th there'll be less suicide. There'll be less homicide. So again, when we talk about heaven, we're not talking about, okay, I just want to check out and go home. Absolutely not but we do know it's in front of us and it does keep us going and it is something so good to look forward to. They say that for the non-believer, this is the closest to hell they'll ever, ex for the believer, this is the closest to hell they'll ever experience and the non-believer, this is the closest to heaven they'll ever experience because it says right there that, it says in verse 27, there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or 
or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so six times in the book of Revelation, we've read about the book of life. This is the only time where it calls it the Lamb's book of life because the only way in is, is by Jesus. And so let me ask you a question as we close today. Is your name in the book? Is your name in the book of life? If not, we're not here to condemn you. We're not here to judge you. We're here to warn you. You need Jesus. You need your name in the book. He did all the hard work. He died on a cross for you. All you have to do is say yes. As he's offering you a relationship with him today, you know, in one sense, it's a proposal of love. I mean, it's just so amazing. It's a gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he, be, he gave the gift, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you have never received the Lord, I pray that today, right here in your, in, your, in your heart, as you're watching online, maybe that's you. You may think we don't see you, and we don't, but God does. <laughs> Whoever you are out there, he loves you. This is your invitation. He brought you to this point because he wants to save you, and he wants to write your name in the book of life. Will you let him? Just say yes, Jesus. Say yes. And he will come in. You just come as you are. You, we come, and we're, I was, when we come messed up, we're all messed up. Don't, whatever you do, don't think, well, I want to fix my life. I'm not kind of ready for it yet. You'll never be ready for it. Never. We can't fix our own life. addiction. He took away the, the stuff that had me in chains.